Yeah, hey, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to Beyond Eight Figures. This is AJ, the journeyman entrepreneur with another Beyond Eight Figure episode for you. On the show, we talk with top entrepreneurs about the realities of building an eight-figure business, what success really means to them, and hear from them about some of their winning strategies and tactics. Tune in to each episode to learn how to grow your business beyond 10 million, and more importantly, create your own personal legacy. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode. Before we get into today's interview, which is a little bit different, but very cool in my opinion, I would love it if you can go leave us a review. Wherever you listen to this podcast, however you do, if you like the show, let us know. If you don't like the show, please tell us what you don't like. Leave us a review and tear us apart. You know, Let me know how horrible this is. But most importantly, let me know what I can do to create value for you. I love talking to entrepreneurs, and I'm going to go do this no matter what. But to make this a worthwhile time for you to listen to us, let me know what I can do, what questions I can ask, what type of people I can be talking with, what's really important to make this worthwhile for you. So please, go leave us a review and let me know what I can do. Today, we're talking with Felice Verdam out of Amsterdam. I'm very jealous. I love Amsterdam. And she is a partner at EQT Life Sciences. Now, EQT is one of the largest European investment funds. And she was a partner at LSP, which was acquired by EQT recently, and now is a partner in their life sciences team. So LSP is now their life sciences team. So really, we're going to be talking about the value of sort of an investor in creating or bringing to bear life sciences opportunities. It's going to be kind of cool to dive into this. But first, you know, the reason why Felisa is really interesting is she comes with this amazing background. Not only has she been doing some amazing investments over the past eight years and the trajectory of what they've done as a fund and now as part of EQT, she comes out of McKinsey, always, you know, a tough route. She was a neuroscientist, statistical geneticist. She's worked with the Broad Institute, the Harvard Medical School. She has scientific degrees and MBA out of Columbia. So super smart, super interesting person. I think what's going to be interesting is put this in the prism. If obviously, if you are running a large, you know, a life sciences company and you're about to go do a trial, this is the type of person you want to be talking to and listen to what she talks about as the value prism and what value not only does she look for, but what value she brings to the table. And beyond the capital, the partnerships, the thinking, the support. That's really straightforward. But you can also get value from listening to that, even if you're not in life sciences, even if you are haven't taken on investor, but you're just thinking about it. Listen to this experienced investor talk about what that prism is that she looks at. Put your own situation through that. Look at your investors through that. Capital is really important. And if you're going to take on capital, it's always a tough route. But if you are getting capital, finding the value and having that extra value along with it is going to be really important and probably going to be one of the most defining impacts you can get. So, you know, listen to how she talks about looking for that, looking for the impact, not specifically the business model. You know, you have to take that with a grain of salt within your own situation, but very worthwhile. Also talk about the value she sees of the network, both the Fremenies, 
just to kind of say, of other investors that they partner with and compete with. And also then just all the other LPs, businesses, scientists, et cetera, that they bring to bear. Because that is really important. That network, people you can talk to, people who've seen situations, people who can give you insight of different aspects, that's really, really, really impactful from potential investors. So please listen to that and think about that. But I think this also brings to bear one of the things that is really important as an entrepreneur as we go on our journeys is growing our own network. Yes, it is something that is easily said and everyone says, you know, you got to grow your network. Your value is your network, X, Y, and Z, blah, blah, blah. But as Felice will talk about sort of what she gets from having spent the time growing, how she goes about doing it, having the coffee, going to have cocktails, going to speak at conferences, going to events, being on a podcast, yay. These are things that I think are worthwhile to put into consideration as you look at generating your own entrepreneurial capabilities. So Fleece is fascinating. And I think this is a very important thing for us to better understand how do you work with investors and why investors are so important. So let's go talk with Felice. Hello, Felice. Thank you so much for coming on the show. It's great to have you here today. Thank you, AJ. It's a pleasure to be here. I was looking, and I'm going to make an assumption looking at your profile and stuff. Are you in Amsterdam right now? I am. I am. I love Amsterdam. I studied in Copenhagen for my graduate degree, and every weekend, because I had my last class Thursday afternoon, I would get on late train from Copenhagen to Amsterdam and do the sleeper. So I would get in like five in the morning, and I would just spend all my weekends in it. I love Amsterdam. It's such a beautiful city. Good job. Yeah. No, it's a fantastic city. I agree with you. Well, like I said, I, I was telling the audience a little bit about your background. And you know what I find really fascinating is, one, you have this amazing background in life sciences and everything. But I think as an entrepreneur, you're in a position that a lot of, you know, a lot of our listeners hope to get. You know, is you've been recently acquired, or not you, your company. Sorry, yep. let me rephrase Well, including me. <laughs> yes, you've been recently acquired. Could you maybe share a little bit about where you see yourself as an entrepreneur these days and sort of how it is being part of a company that's been acquired? Yeah. So, I mean, contrary to, to maybe many of the listeners, of course, my company was already a structure of funds. So mm-hmm. uh, we already invest in companies. So that's a, already, I think, a relatively privileged place to be. It's a, it's a very good side of the table, so to say. But at the same time, that also means that you're not necessarily expecting to be acquired. That's not necessarily the goal of building that company. It's building other companies and helping those companies get acquired, but not necessarily building a structure of funds, which is also a company that would then in turn get acquired. So it was sort of in a way a bit of a surprise, but it turned out to be a really good surprise. And I think the reason for that, and I think this is one of the key success factors if you're about to get acquired, is that the cultural fit is amazing. So as you already pointed out, our company is based in Amsterdam. We also have an office in in Munich and a person in Boston. But culturally, we're pretty close to the Swedes. (laughs) And EQT is is a Swedish company and it has an excellent culture. And on top of that, uh, they leave the, the company that I work for 
as a relatively independent business line. So we, we still maintain a lot of our freedom while at the same time being able to reap the benefits of a larger and much more professionalized organization, which will allow us also uh, to maintain the very impressive growth trajectory that we have had, especially in the last decade or so, but all in all over the last 30 plus years, which we, I, I think otherwise would not have been able to do. Because if you're going as a fund beyond 1 billion euros in this space of life sciences and your capital, that becomes a full-time job. And we were doing fundraising on the side. And EQT, bless them, has nearly 100 people uh, full-time in fundraising. So that's going to make a big difference. Well, this brings up a couple of things. You know, let's kind of start, like, how has your role, now that you are sort of this independent business unit, and you kind of mentioned you don't have to carry on as much, you don't have to carry on in the fundraising aspect. How has your role as an entrepreneur sort of changed in this situation? Yeah, I mean, in a way, you could say that our business has gained a lot more stability. It has therefore perhaps become a little bit more of a safe space and and also the stress around sort of the next fundraise uh, will therefore slightly decrease. I think we're, we're, the jury is still a little bit out because we're, like I said, uh, we have a, a fund that's a billion euros now where I'm mainly working on. Uh, that's the fund where I spend most time as a partner on, uh, which is LSP7. And that fund only has made five investments until now. And we will do maybe 15 to 20 in total. So the next cycle of that will be a few years out. We are starting to raise another one of our products, um, which is the Health Economic Fund, which is more focused on, on medtech companies. And like the name says, reducing the cost for the healthcare system. And that uh, fund is going to start now for the first time with uh, the help of EQT and their full fundraising team. And what you can clearly see is that a lot of things are more professional and it therefore relieves also some of the burden on the investment professionals to fundraise. So I think that will happen as well for myself. I was always spending a portion of my time dedicated to fundraising, which, in a, like you're saying, makes us the most entrepreneurial as a fund owner, I would say. And that part is sort of disappearing but but it's not completely disappearing because we'll still need to do fundraising it's just that we'll have a lot more help and introductions and a bigger network so it's gonna just mainly make it easier well does that change the type of businesses that you can sort of invest in or you know back no, not for the moment. So uh, we, like I said, had already raised uh, the fund uh, that I'm now running. So that mandate was already set. Uh, it had been completely okay. set. So the current and existing investors are expecting us to stick to the mandate that we had raised the fund with. It might be that in the future, if, for example, we would increase the fund size, and that we would want to do also slightly larger ticket sizes. And therefore, very early stage companies might become a little bit more difficult. Uh, but at the same time, we also don't want to go too far from what we're good at, because that's exactly why EQT acquired us. So I doubt that that will really happen. Actually, to give you some perspective, in the last 10 years, we have raised LSP5, which was 250 million euro at the time, the largest biotech VC in Europe, VC fund in Europe. Then we raised LSP6 three years later, which was 550 million euro and uh, was, again, the largest biotech fund in Europe. 
And now we had raised this 1 billion and we officially closed in November last year. So actually we had doubled every time. And so it is not only us that has grown, it is also the market. And it's also the average round size that has grown tremendously. So I feel that we have been growing with the market uh, and that's what we intend to maintain. And that's what I said before, I'm not sure if we would have been able to raise 2 billion if the market continues to grow in a similar path with just our team. And that's why all this help is welcome. So I think it's very much in line with, with what is happening actually in life sciences VC in general. And therefore you also see that a lot more consolidation is going on. So we were the first that announced last year, we announced in November the intention of EQT to acquire us. But two other major acquisitions, or at least deal structures, followed suit. And so there's also a deal between Sofinova, which is one of our sort of colleague or competitor investors, um, with Apollo, and also Ebbingworth with Carlisle. So you see that the market is, is moving there. Yeah, it is really interesting because, you know, I think as many entrepreneurs who've had, you know, I've been able to sell a couple of companies, but always in the low seven figures. So I'm an LP in a few angel funds, and it is really fun talking to larger VCs, sort of where you are. It is interesting to see that, like, where the funds that, as a small investor, as a small accredited investor, I gain access compared to the bigger ones, they're going lower and lower. And I'm seeing more people look to, like, literally, you know, doing that whole, like, we'll help the entrepreneur get off the ground while the funds are trying to you know, find, I guess, better opportunities higher up. Do you see sort of the, you know, as you were saying, the rounds are getting bigger. Where do you know, actually here, before I ask you that, where do you normally buy into? At what point within a company's growth cycle are you looking to invest? Yeah, so we can be pretty open and, and Biotech is of course a pretty special animal. So we don't expect any revenues. That is maybe a news flash <laughs> to many of you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so we, we actually look at how much data a company has already generated. So a good moment for us to get in is anywhere starting from an initial proof of concept in, for example, an animal model, because that can perhaps translate into what you see in humans. So it's relatively close to the first clinical testing in humans. And typically the fund is divided up in three categories of stage. One third is going to this early stage, which is what I said is still preclinical. So before the drug is tested on, on humans. Uh, one third is more development stage. So typically that's uh, the earliest stages of clinical development to assess safety or very initial proof of concept in uh, humans. And then the third is what we call growth. Uh, and that's about 40% of the fund. And that is usually uh, when the company already has some clinical data, but can raise quite a big round, uh, typically around uh, 50 to 100 million to run a more advanced stage clinical trial or try it out in multiple different diseases. And that is typically still pre-revenue, but it's getting closer to, for example, um, an exit or, or even a, a listing on the stock exchange. Yeah. Okay, cool. So, and those are different risk profiles, obviously, yeah. in each one. Now, 
other than obviously the amazing benefit of having the capital, you know, additional capital to each of those steps, are there other benefits for the entrepreneur sort of when you bring your capital to bear at these different stages, what advantages are there also for the entrepreneurs who are running these companies or trying to grow these companies for working with you or taking your investment? Sorry, I'm just, the vocabulary is a little different, so I keep slurring over them. No, of course, of course. No, uh, yeah, we like to think so. Um, so typically what we can help those companies with, I mean, we, we take an active part on the board of the companies that we invest in, and we like to be very helpful on that board. So we typically stay in touch with the entrepreneur, definitely on occasion, of course, in the in the board meetings, but also uh, sometimes a little bit on the side. And the entrepreneur can then benefit from our network. And I think that's the biggest asset. I think we have, for example, several LPs that are pharmaceutical companies who therefore, just by nature, of being an investor in our fund, get a very close look at our portfolio. So these portfolio companies are top of the list with all of these pharma that have invested in our funds. Uh, but, and on top of that, we keep close ties with all the other pharma as well. We have regular updates with them. So it's a sort of a stamp of approval that they are part of our portfolio and therefore they will take an extra close look at these companies. And that might help you in your exit process. That's one thing. Then we also have a very broad network of advisors, experts, scientists that are always happy to help us on these companies, to advise us on, on the steps forward. And uh, they help us in our own due diligence of assessing the company, but they can also be helpful down the line. It can be on the science side, but it can also be, for example, to think through your IP strategy or to think through your business model. We have all these types of advisors. And also, of course, in helping build out your management team or helping build out your board of directors with independent advisors. Uh, we like to think that we have pretty we have built a pretty good uh, network of, of high caliber individuals that, that might be able to step in there as well. So I think that those are the main key advantages. And other than that, what is also unique about this business is that we typically syndicate our investments. Okay, yes. So we like to work with other VCs in the same round. And that is because this is a business that is highly capital intensive. Um, these, these 100 million figures that I just named are, are barely enough to get you to one clinical study, right? Or more advanced stage clinical study. And you need a lot more even to launch your drug down the line. Um, and that's why you also need access to capital markets, etc. And, and it's only credible to do all that if you've built a syndicate of investors. And so the, uh, the last piece of additional uh, value add that, that I would name here is that we have very strong ties with a lot of co-investors. It's not really competition. That's why I said before that some of the other ones are also more colleagues than competition. And these VCs know how we work, uh, sometimes like to work with us in most cases, luckily. Um, and so if we get convinced to invest in your company, we can very often also convince other parties to come along as well. So I think that's, that's another piece of value add that we typically like to bring you know and building that network you know in a sense this is this network effect yep. with then obviously the varying levels of capital you know is really kind of cool now that your role is sort of this you know as an investor but with this understanding of the entrepreneurial process what is it that you focus on within yourself to really improve your ability to be a better investor and then a supporter of entrepreneurial efforts. 
Well, I always really enjoyed the fact that in this business, what goes together hand in hand, and there's actually almost no differentiation between them, is impact on lives of patients with good results. And think about it, that's pretty unique um, because it basically means that if your clinical data is, is good and you get a drug to a patient, you almost always also are in a position to get acquired as a biotech company. And that, I think, is a very nice combination because my job when I look at what companies to invest in is very often, is there indeed a major unmet need here? Are patients still sick despite what is currently on the market? Are patients dying basically on a daily basis because there are no treatments available? That's, that's basically my job. And, and if that's the case, and this is a good scientifically sound solution, um, then you might have an edge. And so I don't really need to think through, oh, and what are then sort of the, the business model challenges or, or what is my, <laughs> you know, valuation model? Because it, that will in the end not be so relevant. It's much more about, are we jumping into a major gap here? And can we create massive impact and massive breakthroughs? And if the answer is yes, there will be value. And that's, that's very cool as an entrepreneur or as an investor. Yeah. Because that, that's very fulfilling to think through. Well, how do you improve your ability to understand that and sort of, because especially in health sciences, let alone any type of opportunity, there's so much noise for the very limited single out there. No, I agree. And that's why we need to stay extremely critical. We have a massive deal flow. Another advantage of, of our business is that we see about... 2,000 opportunities per year that we could theoretically invest in. And then we have to come through them and see what are the most promising ones and maybe make two or three investments per year, right? That's, that's the ratio we're working with here. So you need to be extremely diligent. And one of the key things to learn is to say no. But that also means that you can afford to ask the more difficult questions, but also bring in a lot of expertise from the outside, like I said, from our network of experts that will really toss and turn this investment until you're really sure um, that what is there until now, the proof is always going to be in the pudding. And uh, these clinical trials are, are not straightforward to run and, and are prone to errors in ways that you cannot imagine. But at least from what the data says now, that, that it's convincing that this is going to be a ma major breakthrough. And that's what we do. We just ask a lot of our advisors for help, going in a lot of depth with what the company has generated. Um, and then we, and then we uh, take the plunge. Well, you know, one of the things, and it would seem, given the success and given the growth, and you know, obviously, the acquisition would be an indication of your own, just like you were saying earlier, you know, someone having a drug that was ready would indicate the, you know, likelihood of being acquired the same, you know, reverse engineering on your firm yeah. being acquired. How has your ability to then, I guess, ask these questions, bring to bear, you were saying you bring advisors, their insights to bear, you bring your network insights, et cetera. 
how has that changed for you? After being acquired, you mean? No, just over time, because obviously, you know, what I'm sort of getting at is that ability to use outs, you know, to use your network, to use the insights to bring it is something that takes skill, takes experience, and it takes, you know, it, you have to grow into it. It's not something you can just say, oh, yeah, go ask a bunch of people and then go do something. What will happen is what you take out of it early is going to be much different than what you're taking out now. So I was just sort of like, where are you? How has this changed for you? You know, obviously, when I joined eight years ago, I was a newbie in the field. I didn't know a lot of people in the sector. Oh, as an ex-McKinsey person. Uh, yeah, newbie, I mean, yes. <laughs> in, in essence, yes, in the sector, totally. I mean, I, I could obviously bring value, luckily, from day one, because, you know, I knew how to build great slides and, and, I, <laughs> and I had uh, a nice network of, of people, but not necessarily relevant to this sector. And then obviously I had the benefit of also being a scientist. So I could also sort of add um, some perspective from a, from my scientific training. But I think exactly like you're saying, the, your major value add in this sector is by building relationships and by seeing things also happen, uh, seeing trials go completely sideways um, having negative results for reasons that you didn't predict um, but also seeing things read out well seeing companies uh, be successful built from there um, seeing the acquisition process happening live seeing companies go public and i think that experience you build up over time i now have eight years of experience i've seen all of the things i mentioned happen already, luckily. But it's also about building these relationships that I, I just mentioned. I think I was lucky to come into a firm that had a very good reputation, people uh, that people like to work with. And I think that's a very important thing to look at if you go work for a fund that might not everyone might realize. Who are the people making up that fund? And what is their reputation? Do I want to be a part of that? And I think I was lucky. But obviously, the next step you need to take yourself. Uh, you need to. It's quite unusual that actually part of your job is to have a lot of coffee with a lot of people, uh, to be at receptions <laughs> and drinks yes. and just be out there and be known, uh, be someone that people want to call, but also be prepared in meetings you go to. If I go to a board meeting, I want to make sure that what I say is relevant and what I say is constructive, for example, because that also builds your reputation. And I think all of that combined uh, will establish you at some point in the field. Be on panel discussions and conferences, uh, be on a podcast, <laughs> you know, all of these things um, help. <laughs> yeah, strange, strange things. things. Like yes. I'm quite comfortable now that I bring experience and expertise, but I'm also quite sure that in 10 years from now, I'll look back at myself today and I'll be like, you, you didn't know anything back then, right? So it's, it's a gradual process that you have to go through and that, that builds insights almost every day. I like that. Uh, yeah, sometimes I feel like I knew more when I was younger than I do now, but it is true. It's sort of like in hindsight, I really, I may have felt I knew more, but I really didn't know much 
as I get older, I know I know exactly. That's the other part. In the end, you can't know it all, and you have to realize that as well. <laughs> well, you know that is really cool, and yeah, you know, that type of growth in just sort of in a almost from an athletic point of view, the muscle memory of being able to know what to bring to bear in building your reputation and how to go about doing it. Do you think about sort of what success is going to be like for you as an entrepreneur? I would assume general success for you is to fund these, you know, you mentioned earlier, finding these companies that are going to help save lives, create better value or bring better impact to people's lives. Do you look at your success and what is that going to look like? Yeah, you know, one way to answer that, I think, is one thing that I really didn't expect is that even if you have a portfolio of companies that you look after, I, at the moment I have six, for example, you still feel so personally involved with all of these companies and you still feel almost part of the team, even though they might not think so. But um, the personal relationships that you develop with the CEOs and, and the key people in the company uh, go very deep and they are very important to me. And so I'm on the same mission as they are. We, it feels like we're in the same boat. And so I think I maybe divvy myself up into sort of six different entrepreneurs, but it's not very different how I feel as an, as an investor versus the entrepreneur. And I know now a lot of entrepreneurs are listening to me and they think, oh, there's another investor thinking that they are part of the team. But I think in a way, it's also nice that investors feel that way um, because that means they're, they're really in for it. And for me, a key factor uh, in the investment decision is always the team. Yeah, for me, that, that's actually one of the most important aspects. If I can work with these people, if I like the way they think about companies, the way they think about people, um, because that means that I can trust them much more than, uh, than, than, than if we would be misaligned on this and they would just, just be great scientists, for example. That, that doesn't serve me very well. So, so I think that's, that's one way to answer is that personal success for me is the success of all of these companies that I sort of handpicked and, and carefully selected and that I feel so invested in. The other thing is, I mean, of course, I also think about my company as a company. And that's, of course, after being acquired, that that goal is changed. Uh, but it doesn't mean that we can not think anymore about what is uh, success in the long run for our business. And so just to, to give you a few examples here, we're very fo focused on Europe today, uh, which I think is a very good strategy because a lot of the valuations in Europe are a lot lower. There's a, a big shortage of capital. But in the end, uh, EQT as a business wants to be a global player. And that's in the end what we all aspire. Um, so, for example, growing in the US, growing in Asia, growing in terms of number, growing in terms of capital and management, that's still something that uh, can keep me awake at night and makes me excited. So that's the other part uh, of me being an entrepreneur is to think about EQT Life Sciences as a major growth business. And, and we've been very successful in that. And I hope to maintain that or even accelerate that further. So... Yeah, it's therefore a very diverse job as an entrepreneur, but it's also what makes it fun. And there's a lot of strategy to think through. And of course, with my old McKinsey hat, that's very suitable. And I enjoy that very much. Well, 
looking into the future as you talk about sort of helping EQT sort of expand globally, do you see yourself going deeper into sort of the investing role, more into the management of the fund, or maybe coming back into, or not coming back into since, but going into um, the entrepreneurial role in one of these sort of vehicles to help save lives? Yeah, it's a good question. I think for me, the combination is perfect. Um, so I would like to maintain that as much as possible and, and grow even more into it as a leader. Um, so I think thinking strategically how we can even further improve or impact as, uh, as EQT Life Sciences is what interests me a lot. Uh, but I'm also very much aware that we cannot do that without our investment success. So I think the, the fact that it goes hand in hand is, is actually the right way to look at this. So I think I always want to continue to fund these companies and, and have a, a handful of companies that, I, that I'm fully invested in, uh, but at the same time also grow as a leader of the firm and help grow uh, the impact that we can have. And just to give you an, a, a few numbers, because I always think they're very telling, is that, for example, we've already brought more than 120 products to patients. I think that's fantastic. And at the same time, we at the moment have more than 100 products in clinical testing that could all go to patients as well. That's more than most of the pharmaceutical companies in the world. So uh, we're in the top three with that as a small fund, right? So I think that's, that's just so amazing. And if you can even double that, imagine, then we would be the top in the top of the generating of, of medicine in the world just, just by a fund structure. Yeah, I think that's mind-blowing. And so I couldn't live without that aspect um, and thinking through how we can improve our, our massive footprint uh, and bring even more into the world. So I think that, to me, is very uh, motivating. But if I would be completely uh, aside from the companies and and the companies that are actually making it happen and these very, very passionate entrepreneurs, I would also miss that tremendously. So I think the duality of it is, is what uh, makes it so appealing. Nope, I, I could see that. It is an exciting time and the energy entrepreneurs bring to an opportunity. It is, you know, just, and I'm doing it on a very limited basis, just talking to people like you and I get excited, you know, for you to invest in them. That has to be such a great, you know, it's an intellectual challenge, just the, it's a wonderful experience. I am very, <laughs> very jealous of that experience you get. <laughs> if someone's interested in either reaching out to you or possibly even to talk to you about investment, if they are in the space, what's the best place for them to find you? Yeah, I think it's it's just my email address. It's, it's at egtpartners.com, felice.verdun at equitypartners.com. Yeah, I always read my email and every investment opportunity is always welcome. We literally look at everything in detail because we don't want to miss anything. So um, send it over. It's always very welcome. And indeed, if people have inspiration or other ideas to grow, also always welcome. <laughs> we will put, I may not put your email so you don't get spam. I've, I've made the mistake once of putting an e in my email up and I'm like, okay. Took me months okay. and months, but we will put a link to your profile on yeah, that and your LinkedIn in the show notes, everyone. It will be there. We'll also send it on the email because, yeah, I think it would be really worthwhile for you if you are in the space to reach out and talk with Lise. They really, if you look at what they are doing, 
right now, they are doing some very exciting things and their investments are really pretty cool. So I think it would be wonderful to speak with Felice. I really appreciate you coming on the show, Felice. Thank you so much for being here today. It was a big pleasure. Thank you very much, AJ, for having me. This episode of Beyond Eight Figures is over, but your journey as an entrepreneur continues. So if we can help you with anything, please just let us know. And if you like this episode, please share it with someone who might learn from it. Until next time, keep growing and find the joy in your journey. This is AJ, and I'll be talking to you soon. Bye-bye.